Grace, mercy, and peace are yours this day from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, our gospel lesson is supposed to be the convert text, but this one doesn't get it. I was 19 when I was brought in, but when I was new, I never actually found anybody upset that I was here. That came later, once they got to know me, because of my personality. I never actually had anybody complain about a funeral I did for somebody God drug in at the 11th hour. I have had people upset about the funerals we just couldn't do here, though, even though it was for somebody who never once set foot in the door. See, we pretty much want everyone to show up. Better late than never, too. Really, it was probably only a shock that all the people got paid the same the first time. The problem since, at least in my experience, has been people trying to game the system. Before the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church taught that baptism only forgave past sins, not ones done after your baptism. So nobles, really rich folks, they wouldn't get baptized as infants. Instead, they would pay priests to follow them around with bottles of water in case they thought they were going to die. Because, you know, that way you can get some more sin in before you have to worry about anything else. Like, why not, why not take advantage of it? And, I mean, you can laugh at them, I guess, but we still play Jesus musical chairs quite often. I mean, how long can you stay away from God's gifts and God's house before you really need them? It's easy to get up on a high horse. Some of us came at different times. I was a little late to the party, that's fine, but all of us are here working. And it's not actually that we want to make others feel bad. It's quite the opposite. Everybody here has at least somebody in their life they wish would spend more time in God's house. I am the only baptized person in my whole family. The problem isn't that we don't want them to come and receive the salvation that we have. The problem is we have no idea what we can actually say to them to make them want to come up. There's a lot of excuses. Some are better than others, but really, we don't make excuses about the things we think we actually need. This is where preachers tend to get on their high horse, though, and complain about people who aren't actually here to defend themselves. It's only the very worst kind of sermon that would try and convict somebody not here to be upset about it. They're always really tempting for exceptionally lazy preachers because, well, if I only preach about sinners that aren't you, you can't get mad at me, right? I can't get yelled at because nobody can get offended. The thing is, nobody who actually needs help can get it either. It's just sort of altogether complaining like we do everywhere else, but here saying amen at the end because Jesus. It doesn't fix anything. And besides... The folks out there are sort of right. The parable calls attention to it. The forgiveness of sins is so powerful, so free, that the ones who show up at the very last minute get the exact same resurrection you do. I mean, should they stay away? No, but it kind of turns more into a discussion about the probability of dying before the average life expectancy, which even inside of a pandemic isn't actually a talk that yields a lot of positive responses. And by the way, just sort of randomly asking your family and close friends, what if you die tonight? Uh, it doesn't so much strengthen the relationship as it does start to seem oddly threatening after a little while. So maybe stop. 
Besides, uh, 2020 kind of changed my perspective on this parable at least a little bit. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And so I would have done a lot of stuff differently this year, but I got to think maybe he gave us a gift. I'm not sure this is actually about what hour the workers come in at all. In fact, the Lord explicitly tells us that doesn't matter, even though we want to make it so important. If nothing else, God gave us a gift this year in reminding us just how terrible idleness is. See, what seems to frustrate the master isn't that some come later than others. He is perfectly fine with that. It's that they stand around idle all day in the marketplace. 2020 has taught me really to despise idleness because it's not being lazy. Idleness isn't doing nothing. Idleness is doing everything, just not accomplishing anything. Your car idles. It's on. It's running. It's even working right. It's just not going anywhere. It's wasting gas. Idleness is use without benefit. Idleness is that feeling of being stuck, no matter how hard you try. It's acacia. It's the sin of sloth. Sloth isn't too much Netflix. It's running your motor for so long without getting anywhere that helplessness and despair start to set in. Idleness is going about your whole life and not finding any peace inside of it, no matter how hard you try until you are all tried out. It is not being able to find the divine no matter where you look. It is not being able to find where you fit. It is not feeling like you're moving anywhere, despite trying your very best to make it through this mess, the same as everyone else. Idleness has set in this year for so many of us because we have tried and we have tried and we have tried and found nothing seems to work until there is no hope but that we're going to keep going because what else do you do? This is where our Lord finds something to be upset about. All of us know that feeling, but rather than talking about it, since we don't actually know what to do with it, we usually just let that whole thing slide and resort to guilt, which we can at least use to leverage, folks, right? You should really go to church more, even though I can't quite tell you why I'm going half the time. But what if you die tonight? There's a better way to do this. And really, I wonder if the reason that we heap so much guilt around is because we can't help for the life of us but to see this place as a system to... This is what you do to go to heaven. Go to church. I mean, maybe it's a slanted system. I mean, one hour of work is the same as the whole day, but still, this is what you do to get paid. But if it's just a system, even an unfair one, there's nothing at all unique about it. Life is unfair. There is no such thing as a perfect system. There will always be a way to game it. There will always be people who want to try. Because that is nothing more than a religion of law without gospel, except worse. Because now... It's such an unfair system that even though you showed up at the beginning of the day and worked the whole time, the people who did nothing got the same. But you just sort of have to grin and bear it. But at the same time, why bother? You can say that it's for society. You know, there's good American work to be done here, but the thing is, this has to be more than civic pride. That only goes so far. And I know people who care about their country and their neighbors and still will not come near this place, and you know more of them. And you can say that it is just about good old-fashioned morality. Be honest. Work hard. Do something vaguely religious once in a while. But in short, you know, be a good person. Go to a nondescript good place after you die. Except the thing is, the folks who snuck in at the 11th hour 
got paid in spite of doing none of that stuff. And, well, like, if you're like me, why try harder than you have to? But also, how is that different than any other religion or not having one at all? It's just a once-a-week pep talk about being a good person, but you can get that anywhere else, too. Just say amen at the end because Jesus. There is so much time and effort and energy put in trying to game this like it's a system, not from people outside of our walls playing Jesus' musical chairs, trying to stay away as long as they can, but from us inside of it because we have forgotten why this place exists in the first place, and so we have treated it like a vending machine. There is so much effort and energy going into somehow trying to recruit more people for this system that we ourselves don't see the point of it. And all the while, Jesus' point was that this was not a system at all. There is no system. Just a God who wants to see everybody cared for, no matter what. There is a God who sees just how destructive idleness is for your soul. And so Jesus says the first shall be last and the last first. If that is a system, it's a dumb one. If you want Christianity to be about what you earn, it's never going to make sense because this is not what this religion is. God has already paid for your salvation. He just wants to see you cared for. The question has never been when you showed up. For all of us, be those born and raised inside of the church or those who snuck in late like me, the question is this. When was the Son crucified for you? For those who worked the whole day and for those brought staggering in at the last minute, the answer is the same. It is finished. He died upon that cross and Golgotha for you, for me, for all. And it is finished. There is mercy here for you. That has always been what this place should be for. Jesus given to sinners here, now, for you. You don't come in here to do good works. You come in here to receive your pay for what he has done for you. This is where you pick up the paycheck. Christ's work, Christ's life, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, your reward. Given forgiveness, life, and salvation. They are not just words. They are weapons to devour idleness. They will root you somewhere, not just where you keep trying and trying to make things feel better, but just feel the same, but more frustrating each day. They root you in him who has already conquered not just your problems in this life, but even your death. What if you die tonight is an irrelevant question for Christians. To Paul, to live is Christ, but to die is gain because he knows where he's going, so he's not so worried about it anymore. Why is your first opening gambit a discussion to somebody you love? What if you die tonight? What if there was more here than sort of a last-minute ticket off this bus? What if there was mercy and help and peace? What if there was hope and life and salvation? What if there was a value given to you here that the world could not give no matter how hard or how little you work because you are not worth what you can do? Nothing is. What does a diamond do that makes it worth so much? It's a little rock that sparkles. But we pay for it, and there it has value. That is the same as you. Your value is not what you can earn before the Lord. It is what was paid for you, and you were bought with a price. Not even gold or silver, but the holy and precious blood, the innocent suffering and death of God. You are priceless before the Lord. You have a worth given here in time and space so that all of the idleness that creeps in and would give you less and less and less of a self-worth would be destroyed by the God who heaps value upon you even as he gives you hope for today and tomorrow. You, when you are tired of life, are given hope. You are more than the sum of the parts of the things that you improved upon. 
You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. You are so priceless that God would rather die than lose you. And so he sets up walls around these gifts right here so that there would actually be a place in the world where we would not be judged by what we do, but simply a place where we can gather and receive with air conditioning. Because air conditioning is nice. This place is where you show up to receive. You could probably skip a paycheck at work too, but like, why would you? The work's already been done by him who's died for you. Here's where he hands it out. So instead of talking about church as if there's a whole bunch of negative reasons for not going, what if we actually talked about it as a place where God showed up too? Because the prophet Isaiah warns us, there are actually places you can't find God, no matter how hard you look. He says, seek the Lord where he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That doesn't mean that he's not everywhere, but that means there are going to be places where it is absolutely impossible for you to find him. Sooner or later, that feeling of getting stuck, that that feeling of idleness that sets in to destroy, that is where you will not find God. So he sets up this place for you right here so you can actually know that he is here for you in his word, in his sacraments. He is found, not hiding. He is promised to be here so we can actually know where he is even when we have trouble feeling right. He is on that altar. He is in that bread. He is in that wine. It is his body and blood shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins so that you might kneel here, eat and drink and know that God has not abandoned you to the things you cannot get out of in this life. He is here, giving, not demanding. He is here in hope, not as another thing to do in a life that is already too busy but not near productive enough. Return to the Lord here, that he would have compassion upon you, that he would pardon and comfort, that he would nurture and save. Rejoice and be glad, for be you here all your life, or just here today, the Lord's salvation and hope is for you. In the name of Jesus, amen.